Welcome back, Brown Girls. It's Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Today, we have a special bonus episode. Here at the BGG, it's important for us to discuss what is happening today within our communities and society. We have seen thousands of Americans come together in their cities and across the country over the past few weeks to raise their voices to protest systematic racism and police brutality. At the BGG, we stand in support with the people and organizations fighting to eradicate systems of oppression, white supremacy, and anti-blackness. Today, we have the honor to talk to Nana Ganthi. She is an attorney and the executive director of the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, or BAHI. She is also the founder of the Community Legal Clinic and Transformative Justice Center and Legal Ease Workshops, as well as the co-founder of Justice Warriors for Black Lives. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Nana, how are you today? I am well, well as can be expected and during these times and hoping you're well as well. You know, I'm well despite everything, but one of the reasons that I'm grateful is because of the great work that women like you do in this country. So excited to talk about the Black Alliance for Just Immigration which is one of the organizations that the BGG and Wonder Media Network, which produces the BGG podcast, has been encouraging our audiences to support. So thank you. These organizations are just critical in times like this. Thank you so very much. We appreciate that support and the support that we've gotten from Black folks all over the globe. We appreciate it. Tell us a little bit more about the Black Alliance for Just Immigration and what brought you to the organization. So the Black Alliance for Just Immigration is a national Black-led immigration rights, human rights, racial justice organization. We are the largest of our kind in the United States. We educate, we advocate, we organize on behalf of the roughly 10 million Black refugee and immigrant families in this country, as well as Black folks who are trying to come into the country, um, whether it be permanently or temporarily, and those who are seeking asylum. We have our headquarters in New York, but we also have offices in D.C., Miami, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Oakland, and we have staff in Houston and in Minneapolis. So, we pretty much are all over the place, as well as doing work on the uh, other side of the border in Mexico, at the northern border with Tijuana, and also we've been doing some work at the southern border of, of Mexico in Tapachula, where you have Black asylum seekers coming to the United States through uh, Mexico in that way. And the work that we do is national in many cases in terms of policy. And you know, we've been very busy in that regard, especially in, with this administration. We also do national work with respect to racial justice. Our um, former executive director, Opal Tometi, was one of the big three that started Black Lives Matter. And so Baji has been involved in Black Lives Matter since the beginning, and we do that work. And then we also do local work, regional work. Um, both on the policy side, but as well as more and with even more vigor on the organizing side to make sure that we are pushing for racial, economic, and social justice with and right alongside our multi-generational African-American siblings. 
so much work, such powerful work. And as you said, you've been very busy with this administration. I feel they're just keeping everyone busy with their foolishness. But I definitely do want us to talk about DACA. So for our listeners who may not be familiar, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And the Supreme Court decision around DACA now allows immigrants who have received DACA status, sometimes referred to as DREAMers. So if you've seen the hashtag, I stand with DREAMers, that's what that means. It allows them to stay in the country safely without a threat of deportation. But one of the things that we've been really seeing missing from the mainstream conversation over DACA was that it also impacts non-Hispanic and Latino communities, that there are Black and Brown communities impacted by this as well, other Black and Brown communities that are impacted by this as well. So what was your reaction when you heard the decision and what are our next steps in the DREAMer movement? So... It is really important, and I think I really want to thank you for lifting up the fact that, yes, there are dreamers who are not um, brown folks, that are not Latinx folks, uh, that are not black, right? That we have black Latinx folks as well as black dreamers from the continent of Africa, from the Caribbean, from Europe, right? We think about. Uh, 21 Savage, right, and how this came up. Um, and, and he actually falls in the category that is equally as important that we need to advocate for. A person who isn't a DACA recipient, but who happens to be undocumented. And obviously, we're looking for permanent protections, not just for DACA recipients, because everyone coming to this country is dreaming, right? No one's coming to this country to be in a nightmare. You know, some of the important pieces are Looking at the Supreme Court uh, decision, I also happen to be an attorney of 26 years doing movement work, is that it's a temporary relief. It is not the permanent protection that we want our people to have and that our people need to have in order to thrive. Basically, what the Supreme Court said is that the way that the administration got rid of DACA had no basis. They just got rid of it that they have to have a reason. They have to show that they've thought about everything before they come to that conclusion, and they did not. And so what does that mean? It means that just like the Muslim ban, if you remember, the court ruled against, the Supreme Court ruled against the administration on the Muslim ban and said he you know, pointed out what was wrong. And so they just instituted a new Muslim ban, adjusting themselves to what the court had pointed out, and that Muslim ban remains, not struck down. And so we have to get a permanent protection that comes out of Congress. Otherwise, that's what this administration is going to do again. They're going to say, oh, we've got to show that we thought about everything. Okay, this time we thought about everything and we're getting rid of DACA. And the Supreme Court may hold that up. So the fight is definitely not over. You know, the relief is there. I, I tell people, it's sort of like if you think you're going to have to move and you really don't want to move and then you get a reprieve, it's like, whoo, okay. But you know, eventually you're going to have to deal with whatever is the underlying problem that causes you to feel like you are going to be pushed out. And so we're going to have to deal with the underlying problem, which is the policies of this country that are rooted in a notion that only white people deserve to live in America and certainly black people, citizen or not, do not have those same um, desserts. And so we've got to make sure to push back against that 
and to keep that fight strong. So you mentioned that you're a lawyer and you have worked and led so many different organizations. And I just want to name a few. You've been with Justice Warriors for Black Lives, Human Rights Advocacy. You became the co-founder and a core team member of Black August Los Angeles. And you even served as the executive director of the Black Women's Forum. What was the moment that really drove you into activism, but this particular area of activism that you do? So with respect to activism in general, that really came out of being in college. I think that happens for most of us. I went to Cornell. I was fortunate enough to hook, to be connected to and mentored by the great Dr. James Turner, one of the, one of the Turner kids. Um, and but there really learned about how to not just advocate, but how to organize the community and be rooted in those people who are most impacted by the decisions that are being made. And so I decided to go to law school and human rights advocacy and even Justice Warriors for Black Lives come out of that, this interest in how we connect legal support, how we engage in legal defense but make it something that all of our communities can access. You don't have to go to law school. You don't have to um, be a lawyer in order to help our communities and support our communities in that way. With respect to Baji, I am a first generation, that's what I call myself, I think now they call us second generation, of Ghanaian descent born in the United States, but like a Toyota made in Kansas, I continue to retain my nationality. And um, lived at home for a while, lived in Cote d'Ivoire, always was in this space in which, of course, I identified with African-Americans being someone that was born here and obviously living an experience that was the experience of a Black person born in the United States and very much rooted in my um, Ghanaian-ness and that immigrant life, right? My parents came as immigrants. All of my uncles and aunties came as immigrants. Everything that immigrants have gone through, my relative, I got a relative or two that has been through that and through that process. And so it's a natural, was natural for me to always be involved in that kind of work, but really came to this work with Baji in 2017 when I was asked to be a board member. And that brought me into the current iteration of how Black immigrants are you know, coming together with African-Americans to talk about immigration and work on immigration rights as a racial justice issue that focuses and looks at the anti-Blackness within the movement, as well as the anti-Blackness and immigration policy and organizes our people to address it. Hey everyone, during this time, it's hard for us to get out and go shopping. Lucky for us, Stitch Fix is a personal styling company that brings you the world of fashion and style and the comfort of your own home. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love that's all about you every time. I was able to go on and create my profile to take your easy styling quiz to customize everything I liked from dresses to pants and even jewelry. And you can do the same. To get started, go to stitchfix.com slash browngirls to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalized just for you in your colors, styles, and budget. 
You pay a $20 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time. There's no subscription required. Plus, shipping, returns, and exchanges are easy and free. Stitch Fix does the hard work for you, making great style effortless for everybody, including women, men, and kids. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash browngirls and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash browngirls for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash browngirls. We talk a lot about anti-blackness on the podcast and that it exists in so many areas. And this is another area where you do have just levels of anti-blackness. Absolutely. I mean, when we look at who's being detained the most, when, you know, who is being detained the longest, who is the most likely to be deported, who, uh, you know, is, is the least likely to be able to get out on bail, whose bonds are the highest, you're talking about Black immigrants. We are targeted and profiled as Black people because we are Black people by the criminal sanction system. And then we are targeted and racially profiled and treated differently in the detention system and deportation system also as a result of being Black. And I say all the time, there's 100,000, this is according to the Prime Minister of Ireland, 100,000 undocumented Irish people in the United States. You do not hear about ICE going to St. Patrick's Day parades, hitting up the pubs, you know, and looking for those undocumented Irish people. That doesn't happen. And yet we see the ways in which ICE and the police target Black immigrants um, and other immigrants of color and we know where this comes from. And so it's really important that we talk about that and that we center that and that we don't allow folks to invisibilize Black people in the immigrant rights movement. Those visuals you just gave, and I, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you never see them at those festivals at all. They advertise them with no problem. People attend them with no problem. But when we gather, it's, okay, who can we get? Who shouldn't be here? Absolutely. Two or more of us may not be gathered, period. I mean, in, in some cases, that's law, right? The, the way that they frame the law, that it gives them more capacity to stop us, to frisk us, to arrest us, to detain us. Uh, we see who is being detained the most and who's being ticketed the most when it comes to COVID-19, for example, right? We see that with these protests that we were engaged in and continue to be engaged in lifting up anti-blackness in this country, in particular as it relates to police, that, you know, they engaged ICE, right? They went and got ICE to come out. They went and got the Customs and Border Patrol to come out. And they're doing that, understanding this to be a Black-led movement. So who that is targeting in other people's minds, they think, oh, that's to target the brown folks. But no, they don't see this as a brown movement. They understand this movement for black lives as a black movement. That is to make sure that black immigrants feel afraid of coming out because where this started, the epicenter in Minnesota, you had so many black immigrant youth from Somalia, from Kenya, from other parts of um, the Black world who were right there leading the charge 
uh, in this push for our lives. And they want to make sure that we don't come out and that we don't engage. You're absolutely right. And we are in this historic moment of activism, of protesting, and there are so many people who want to do more. So for those people who are thinking, okay, what are my next steps where I can keep involved, keep this conversation going? What advice do you have for those people who want to make sure that they're not letting this just be a moment, that they're doing everything that they can? What are some ways that you think people can heighten their activism? So we always tell people to feel free to reach out to us at Baji, B-A-J-I, and you can go to our website, Baji.org, B-A-J-I.org. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at Baji Tweet. You can reach out to us on Instagram, at InstaBaji, and we have a Facebook page. We encourage you to look for organizations also that are local. So for example, if you're in Minnesota, look out for the Black Immigrant Collective that's in Minnesota. If you are in Detroit, our sister Sadie and Abisa, A-B-I-S-A, doing phenomenal work. If you are in Florida, uh, you know, if you are in New York, if you're in Kansas, look out for the Sunflower Organization. There's so many of us that are doing work that may not necessarily get the same shine because they're not a, a national organization like Baji, but they are a place for you to engage the work. And of course, there's organizations that are part of the movement for Black lives, as Baji is, such as Black Youth Project 100, Dream Defenders, and others that people can plug right into. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can engage. It's not just going into the streets, but if that's your thing, great. But there's a lot of different ways that you can engage. Um, and there's a lot of different time commitments. No one's asking you to jump in full, you know, full fledged. You can even just give a part of your time every week, every month. It all adds up and it's all support. Love it. Nana, I have really enjoyed this conversation, all of the knowledge that you have dropped. And I want to lead us into our final question, which is, what does liberation mean to you? So to me, liberation will, we will be liberated. Liberation means that we've come to this space in which we are able to thrive, to develop, to grow with systems that are so alien to what we're doing now that people looking at our new world will be amazed and will remark, as white folks did when they first saw us on the continent, that we're doing things they don't understand, we're eating foods they don't get, we're calling ourselves things that they don't um, see, and we are connecting with each other in ways that they, you know, have never, uh, un I could never understand. And, and when we get to that point that we have so dismantled this system and so uh, focused our intention on creating a completely different world that we actually have done that, that's when liberation is here. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The BG Guide. The BGG Podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls. Hey, everyone. Before we go, I'd like to tell you about another promotional partner podcast, In Recovery from Limonada Media. Everyone's life has been impacted by addiction in one way or the other. In Recovery is a weekly podcast for those in need of information about the science, research, and reality of addiction. In Recovery is hosted by Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a physician who is board certified in psychiatry and addiction medicine. It offers listeners a heartfelt approach to treating all kinds of addiction. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. 